I remember I started a medication and the side effects of the medication was doing what it did. And I was like, what the hell do I do? Because I couldn't really mm-hmm. think at that level because I had seen it. So I went to a senior like, hey, help. <laughs> help. The hell's going on? I know this information is abnormal, but freak, I don't know what to do with it. And they kind of was like, and it's like, what? Welcome to the Nurse to Nurse podcast, where we'll have inspiring and innovative conversations from one nurse to another, helping you leverage your experience, expertise, and education to build your personal brand and start a coaching practice. And now, here to help you unleash your magic in the world, your host, Starshima. All right, what's up, y'all? Thank you so much for tuning in to another episode here on the Nurse to Nurse podcast, where we come in and we have innovative and inspiring conversations around growing us as nurses, real life shit that's happening out in the healthcare setting right now to help us be able to grow and be better nurses or create greater impact in the world. So listen, y'all, listen, listen, listen. I got this guy who's going to be a guest on the podcast today, and I really had to pull major ass strings to get him in here and to have this conversation with me. But we're going to talk all about what is the current state of healthcare? What does it look like for entrepreneurship? And what does it look like for you as a nurse? What are the things that you should be navigating right now that's going to help you sustain within this time? So I'm not going to give him much of an introduction because I think he can do that for you. Just know that I've worked alongside him for many, many years. He's been a mentor a friend and a coach to me. I look to him for advice, whether it's in nursing or in life. And y'all, you know, we talk to women here, but it's all right. We appreciate our men too. All right. I'm going to give you the floor. Go ahead and take over. Kevin. Good morning. My name is Kevin. My last name is Stansberry. I've been a registered nurse for a while now, probably going on 22, 26 years. I don't even remember, to be honest. I started my first IV in 1986. I joined the military. I was a combat medic for about nine years, and then I became a nurse after that. After I left the Army, I moved to California, and I met my wonderful wife. You guys know her as Miss Pat. 22 wonderful years we've been married. I won't embarrass her. She's about to turn 50 this next couple of weeks, so she's about to hit the big 5-0. I started out as a surgical ICU nurse, and then I don't know who I made mad in the Army, but I was transitioned to postpartum for two years when I worked at Tripler Army Medical Center. And I hated that. I mean, I like the look of vagina, but not that way. And then I moved to California. I started working as a trauma ICU nurse at the old UMC. I don't know if you remember that, University of Medical Center. For those of you that live in the Central Valley, it's over by Cedar and uh, the fairgrounds. Then I moved downtown, became a PACU nurse because they wanted me to train the Fresno community nurses how to be ICU nurses in the PACU. So that's what I did. I never wanted to be ER nurse, but I started traveling because I was dismayed with healthcare and the way our pay system was. And I stumbled upon an ER in Selma, and it's Adventist Selma, and I fell in love with the ER. And that's what I've been doing ever since. I'm a certified emergency nurse. I'm a vascular board certified vascular access specialist. I've been in the healthcare, like I said, since 1986, and I love this. And I really have a lot of opinions on healthcare. If you've ever come to my classes, I've been talking about this forever. And I probably piss off a lot of women, but I'm sorry. Not sorry. Wait, not that you piss off a lot of women. You don't piss off men? I'm just asking. Uh, no, no, I don't really make men mad unless I flirt with their wives. <laughs> okay, that's fair. But men don't really get mad at what I say because, you know, I, I think, and I know I'm generalizing. Don't get me wrong. I am generalizing. But I think a lot of men, they just come to work. They go home. They don't put up with all the drama. They ask for what they want. They're not afraid to ask for what they want. You know, that's really interesting that you say that. I just released a podcast this past Friday and it was all about speak up, sis. And it was talking about women and women voices and how we as women, our voices are not appreciated as much, right? And not saying that you don't appreciate a woman's voice, but I think it just adds that context to that podcast of why women are conditioned to not speak up as much or articulate clearly about what it is that we need. And I think sometimes when we begin to speak up, we begin to look aggressive, right? Or whatever those things are, because it's something that women are not conditioned to always do. So I just wanted to add that context there. But I do want to tell you, I did learn a little bit more about you. I didn't know that you had 
all that experience. And I didn't know that you're putting in IVs when I was still just getting out of diapers. So you're kind of old. Like, <laughs> yes, I am old. old. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> when I first started IVs, we didn't have catheters. We had steel needles still. Oh, shit. Yeah. <laughs> right. I wouldn't want to be that patient back in the day. <laughs> you know, I may have gotten one as a kid, but yeah. So awesome. So it sounds like, Kevin, you've been in healthcare for a really long time and you've probably seen a hell of a lot of transition here within the healthcare setting and just listening to you because I'm a, what, nine, 10, 11 year nurse. So a lot of things I haven't quite seen quite yet, but I heard you talk about pay. Like a lot of things that I hear right now in healthcare amongst nurses is a lot of, we are overworked, we are underpaid, leading to a lot of burnout. But it seems like, according to you, like pay was an issue back in the day too. What do you think is different today in relationship to pay in the times that we're facing in healthcare as nurses? So when I first started, we made eight, no, we, I started out in trauma ICU, you get, you know, it's one-to-one sometimes two-to-one, but we were making $16 an hour. And I asked for a dollar raise and they told me no. And so that's why I left to become a traveler. But back then I did work, you know, I would float around. I worked on med serves and it's called transitional care. But when I worked on med serves, I'm not joking. You can ask any of the older nurses my age. We had 17 patients each. I would have 17. You would have 17. We were lucky to maybe have an LVN. Sometimes we didn't. We didn't have CNAs. And if you told your manager you didn't make enough money, they would just tell you, you know what, if you don't like it, find another job. And it's kind of the same way. But when I moved downtown from, I think it was around 2000, 2002, they bumped us from $17 to maybe like $22 or $23. It wasn't very much. And we haven't had a significant pay raise since 2006 or 2007. If you look and adjust for inflation, to me, the base rate for any nurse should be around $62 an hour. And I get this question all the time is, are you talking about with differentials? You're talking about with bonuses? I'm like, no, base rate. If you're a day shift nurse, a night shift nurse, it doesn't matter. Your base rate to me should be $60, $62 an hour. And I know I'm going to get in trouble for this, but a lot of women, when I ask them this, I'll say, Starshima, how much are you worth? What should you get paid? What do you think the average answer is when I ask that question? And to be honest with thinking about women in general, probably the question is what they're getting is what they deserve. Like what people have outlined yes. for them versus what they can tell what's coming into the organization and saying what their worth is and their ability to be able yeah, to. I don't have experience, Starshima. I don't deserve that much. I'm like, that's crap. I said, if you go and you call a plumber, how much do they make an hour? If you call an electrician, how much do they make an hour? And the average plumber to electrician here in the Valley is anywhere from 80 to $120 an hour. So you're telling me with your experience from school and your knowledge to save lives, you don't deserve as much as a plumber and an electrician. And I tell nurses, I'm saying, if you go to a hospital, you ask your friends, Starshima, I'm going to go over here to St. Agnes. What is the pay range? Just find out the pay range. And I tell them, find a pay range. If it's $30 to $50, how much are you going to ask for and what do you think the average answer is when I ask that? $30 to $50, what are you going to ask for? Probably on the lower side. Right. And I'm like, why? I'm going to ask for $150, three times the max. And they all look at me like I'm nuts. And I say, yes, but when you do that, you shock the shit out of the HR person. They don't know what to think of you. And you're more likely to come walking away with a higher pay than what you thought you were going to get. And what's the worst thing that's going to happen if you ask for $50 an hour or $60? What's the worst thing they're going to say? No, no. Yeah. And, and if they say no, if they say no, then you have two yeah. choices. You either take what they get or you walk away. But now I know I know I'm sound sexist, but to me, women, and I know I'm not a woman because I'm just generalized, but to me, from my experience studying you creatures for the last 30 years, you have three things security, security, and security. Mm-hmm. You want to secure jobs, secure relationships, secure home life. And if any of that upsets you, you won't walk away from it. For example, here in the Valley Children's Nurses, they, on average, stay 15 to 30 years at Valley Children's. And they make the lowest pay. Yeah. Why do they stay? Yeah. Security. Why? They want to feel that secure. Just, that's, that is part of it. That is part of it. Because, you know, like men, we jump around. We, we're like butterflies and stuff. But right. I did ask children nurses, and most of them say this. Their managers and directors, even the CNO, when they're overwhelmed, will get out of their office and come and help. How many times does that happen in the adult world? Not, not often. And that's what nurses really do appreciate it. I think this is a conversation, a good segue. I think it leads into where we want to go in this podcast of talking about women 
really understanding their worth. And us as nurses, right? We as creatures, as human, we pick up these professions and we go and do them and then we don't negotiate. All this is research, right? It's found. It's not that Kevin's trying to shed any bad light. Oh, any of us. I love women. It really is the nature of it. Myself (laughs) included working as a bedside nurse. You know, I've been, I was at an organization for about 16, 17 years. I kind of grew up within the organization. And as I grew up in the organization, I just kind of took what they told me that they were going to give me. And I did the long nights, the overwork, the, you know, Kevin said back in the days, he had 17 patients at $17 an hour, right? Well, in the capacity what we were working in, we were, it was stress. It was a high stress environment, but I took what I needed. But let me tell you how I had to walk into my power to start negotiating and also positioning myself to position myself for the value of what I want. And this is what I want other nurses to understand right now, especially with the current state of healthcare. This is for some of you all, but not all of you all is when we stay in these places and we don't look outside the box, we settle. We do look for security, right? We look for the security in the job. We want to raise our families. We want a good, healthy relationship. We don't want to disrupt too much. And we're afraid of what the disruption looks like. But it took me to a time where I got really, really uncomfortable at that side. And it was where my children, very allergy prone kids, my son got exposed to some allergen. He was having respiratory difficulties. I was in the OR, like with a patient on the table, just put them off to sleep and I get a call and I'm like, what the hell? And at that very moment, I realized that I wasn't as secure as I thought I was because I couldn't get to the thing that meant the most to me outside of every dollar. I love the patient that was on the table, but I couldn't give it to my child. This job had me bound. And that was that uncomfortable moment that I decided to look otherwise. And in that disruption, although it felt hella uncomfortable, I was at a, I feel like I was divorcing my husband. Right. I don't know what the hell that right. feels like, but because I had been there for so long and When I decided to leave, I got to go to another place with the freedom, right, that I had. And I was making shit a hell of a lot more money than I was making in this organization because I didn't know how to advocate for myself to do these things. So I think that we as nurses and we as women in particular, that we got to get curious and we really have to see what's out here and start negotiating for ourselves and really start building something ourselves, especially with the current state of healthcare. Kevin, tell me, what do you feel is like what's going on in healthcare right now from a nursing perspective? So I think the problem that we still have is I talk to students every day to come here. A lot of nurses feel, and it doesn't matter men or women, a lot of them feel they can't say no. I'll give you an example. You worked in the ER, mobile intensive care nurse. They're the ones who bring in the patients from the ambulances and they kind of filter them. They're the bed control throughout the ER. Sometimes that nurse has 17, 20, 30 patients in the hallway. Is that even legal? And the answer is no, but the nurse won't say no. They won't call management. They won't say, hey, you're going to come down here and help me. They feel like they have no choice. And that is not true. I have a paper and I can give it to you and you can dispense it all you want, but it's from the board of nursing. And they say, you have an obligation to say no, because it's not safe for you. It's not safe for the patient. And a lot of nurses, especially like in the ED, they'll take three or four tele patients, a couple ICU patients. If an ICU nurse refuses to take more than two, then why want an ER nurse? Why do we accept the inequality when it comes from department to department? We have to stand up. I don't want to get real for too many fair, but I'm not a really big fan of uh, unions only because if you've got a crappy nurse, it's hard to get rid of that nurse. My vision for nurses instead of unions have nursing groups like doctors do like anesthesia groups, ER doctor groups, have nursing groups. So we own the company. We make the money. We negotiate. We have more power with the hospital. And if we don't like one of the nurses in our group because they're not pulling their weight or they're not quality, then we can just buy them out or, you know, shoot them away a lot easier. But I think nursing right now, even though you guys have less patients, you know, the average patients you're supposed to have in the ED is four to one, ICU is two to one, medsurs, you have to quote me or correct me. I think it's six to one or maybe five to one. I don't even know what it is, but it's a common theme. Is it five to one? Yeah. A common thing is I think we're always over guides. And when COVID hit, they used that as an over guides, you know, regulation to push us over. But COVID has been over for how long now, according to the government. So then why are they still pushing nurses over? Why are nurses still accepting that? And I said this from the beginning, when we had COVID, I said, this is your opportunity right now to change the nursing scene. 
if you don't speak up now, you don't revolt now, when we get to the other side of code, I think it's going to be too late. And I feel sometimes it's going to be too late because people won't stand up. If everybody went on Highway 99 and parked their car and just left it there for weeks on end, just having a big old 68 Woodstock party, people would stand up and listen to us. But I think we're afraid. Yeah. And I think it comes back to the three things I told you, security, security, and security. Yeah. We're scared to do it. Yeah. Because even you look at, you know, when I'm thinking about like the current state of healthcare, what I'm looking at, what's burning the nurses out, like what's going on? A lot of nurses, and it kind of goes back to that mentality, seemed like it was back in the day. I just did nurse back in the day was now they're expected to do more, right? Now you're becoming, because the healthcare <clears throat> industry is short. So now the nurse is now the bedside nurse. Uh, they're now the housekeeper. They're now the respiratory therapist when they need it you know, and those resources aren't available. So you have greater responsibility for that, like all patient care in areas where you may not be an absolute specialist. And then that is burning people out. And then the other thing too, is I think it made it look really enticing for people who didn't have really good health boundaries during COVID, that you had the opportunity to make a hell of a lot of money and people right. was burning themselves right. out trying to get rich at the right. sake of their own mental wellness, their own you know, everything like people was running for the money. And I think now we're getting that back end of it, the byproduct of all of that, right? When the money runs out, when you're exhausted, like anybody at the point of exhaustion, right? We learned that in the gas syndrome is that you're going to be exhausted. You're going to exhaust yourself. So I think a lot of that is seeing that now where we're getting a lot of unhappy nurses and our thresholds aren't that well. And with that, I see a lot of nurses jumping ship and doing other things. I mean, people going to be Walmart greeters. I don't know if that's much better, though, because that's just as stressful sometimes. <laughs> right. Checking the damn receipts as people walking out and you get a person like me, like, right. oh, I'm checking my receipt. Right. Like, yeah. I pay for this shit. Watch the camera. Right. <laughs> right. Well, I, I don't know if you noticed, but I was told a week ago that is mandating nurses now are going to work seven, 12 hour shifts. Wow. So I, I mean, I that. when wow. I worked in UMC, we worked seven tens in a row. We did seven on, seven off. That's what yeah. we worked. Yeah. Don't be surprised if you're going to see mandated overtime. And most nurses aren't aware of this, but California, even though we're a very liberal state, California does not have a overtime law where you can, you know, protect you. Companies can mandate you to work overtime. Uh-huh. If you're there and working eight hour shifts and I need you to stay four more, you got to do it. And if you don't, that's abandonment. Yeah. I tell nurses, before you accept the assignment, you better ask questions. Once yeah. you accept the assignment, you're stuck. Right. Absolutely. So, but I just think that nurses need to learn how to empower themselves and don't be afraid to say, no, I'm only going to take this assignment. I'm not going to. Now, I will say this. Sometimes nurses pick battles that aren't appropriate. Like, you know, they're overwhelmed and I don't want to start a generational war because I'm older. But sometimes I think we have, I don't know what a good politically correct word would be, but sissified this younger generation like you got to learn to be on your own you got to learn to be autonomous if you want to be treated like a professional then you have to learn to do the research because most nurses that go through school are still being taught task-based medicine they're not being taught evidence-based medicine right and if you don't take the time to learn evidence-based medicine you're not going to be a good nurse right and you're not going to be able to empower yourself to know what to do when it comes to these situations Right. Well, you know, that's the big thing right now. I think you're right on topic is that we do teach them to be very task oriented, how to do a thing, right? We wanted you to know how to do a thing, but I think it's much more important of how to be able to rationalize and understand why am I doing this? What is the most evidence-based intervention I should do right now for this individual to help turn them around and save their life? I was just having this conversation in the classroom because I teach new nurses, right? At right. every fundamental level. And it's not about how do you clean them to a bed bath and wipe from the inner eye to the outer eye. That's important for you to understand. But even more context is like, why am I even doing hygiene for the patient? Why right. is this, what is this doing for the patient? And I think that's why NCLEX is shifting this thing is because they're looking, they want nurses to be able to think more critically through situations. But we <clears> teach <throat> people to just do, 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 go do the ABG, put a, you know oxygen on the patient. But right. why am I doing that? I'm such a pathophysiology type geek, but I think that helps me, too, me yeah. when I understand when disease is happening to the body, what is happening? And then how do I intervene and why am I intervening? Helps you use your resources a hell of a lot better as a nurse and you have better outcomes for your patients, but we are teaching them to be task oriented because that's where we are very fast paced 
society, get it done, get it get done, get it done. And I think this is why we're seeing so many nurses come up in the news now for shit that you would think that you know how to do, like documenting, like documenting at the very base of my care, assessing patients, making sure, you know, is the wounds getting better or not, you know, things right. of that nature, medication errors and huge medication errors from things of just doing basic safety checks. Like why are we getting so complacent in the things that we should do to provide safe care to our patients? But I think it's because we're not thinking we get so robotically and we're just doing the thing. Right. So I definitely, definitely. Most nurses, I tell them, most time you're making decisions in your healthcare profession, you're making decisions on what's best for you instead mm-hmm. of what's best for the patient. I tell them, you need to learn how to make decisions what's best for the patient. Yes. Whether it's easy for you or not, it doesn't make a difference. You're there. As soon as you walk through the door, what is your number one goal? And I don't right. care if you're CNA, LVN, RN, MD, when you walk through the hospital door, what should be your ultimate goal? Patient. And I say patient safety. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I don't care if I'm an RN doing something unsafe and you're a CNA and you know I'm doing something wrong. Speak up. Yeah. Tell me I'm doing it wrong and tell me I'm, you're going to chart it. Yeah. And if you do that, I think most people would start paying attention. And I know there's egos and stuff like we always make fun of doctors that they have egos. But I think RNs have bigger egos than everybody. Yeah, absolutely. But I just, we should have good patient safety. And I think every nurse should take the time to learn evidence-based medicine. And medication is a big one. Yeah. I talk to your students because I get a lot of them to come here and they're like, oh, I don't know why I need a drug book. I'm just this. I'm not going to be doing this. I'm like, yes, you are. And I said, even if you're not doing it, you should know what to do. So yeah. in case somebody makes a mistake, you can speak up. Yeah. And that's yeah. a big thing I tell them as well, because I share very early on, you know, in my career, when you come out of school, school teaches you how to do the thing. It don't teach right. you how to nurse. You learn that on the floor. And I remember having my very first code come in, new grad nurse, barely off orientation. And I had the most amazing preceptor in the game. Like, I love him dearly, right? But shit, my anxiety came over me. I was getting an MI coming in and it was like, do I give him aspirin PO or give him rectally? Like, I was about to give it PO and the LVN came in like, hey. And I really, really appreciated that, even especially as a new grad nurse is because that nurse Although her title appeared to be, if we look at stat, whatever that right, looks right, right. like, but she had much more years of experience for me. And she, not that I don't think it would have caused the patient any kind of harm. It just wasn't the best evidence-based thing right. to do for that patient in that moment. And she saved me. And I really, really appreciate that. And that's what I try to instill in my students is right. people want to tell you about a title, that you're this, that you're that, or you're higher or you're lower. The title doesn't mean anything in any event right. when it comes to a patient. Your knowledge and your experience is what is going to speak. And you may save a patient's life by just speaking up about what you know. So I tell them all the time, like you're a nurse. (laughs) At the end of the day, we're all nurses. Our scopes just look a little bit differently, but you are still, you know. But but we as RNs, we are detrimental to the nursing because we, I get a lot of nurses who come in, you know, the LVNs come here to do their IV therapy. They always tell me the same thing. Well, you're just an LVN. You're not a real nurse. And I said, when you get somebody that says that, first of all, that means they're insecure themselves. Absolutely. Secondly, you tell them, what is the N in my initials LVN? What does the N stand for? It stands for nurse. And what does the L stand for? It stands for license. license. So I'm a licensed nurse. I may not have the same scope as you, but I'm still a nurse. Yeah. But if you don't talk to people and put them in a place like that, we'll never change the way this hierarchy comes with nursing. Like, I agree with you. Like, I've had doctorate of nurses come to my classes. Just because you're a doctorate of nursing don't mean you're smart. Like, I've had some DTDs that come through here that they got their doctorate degree and they have no idea what they're talking about. They just spout out gibberish. Yeah. So education only goes so far if you know how to make it work. Come on. Come on. It's no, but it's true. Like, I, I, I didn't have my bachelor's in nursing forever. I had a master's in business, healthcare administration. I had a bachelor's in computer science, and I never had a nursing degree. And people looked down upon me. They didn't give me the time of day. Soon as I got my BSN, I started getting all these phone calls. I'm like, screw you. I said, I'm the same damn person I was yesterday. What has the title got to do with anything? Mm-hmm. I said, I had all these other degrees. So what does this one degree have to do with anything. And it doesn't change who I was or how I thought, how I worked. I just think that people get caught. I'm not telling people don't go get their degrees. If you want to do it, that's on you. But I just think that just because you have a degree or title doesn't necessarily make you an awesome nurse. Thank if you, you don't know how to use the education you were provided to you, then it's useless information. You're deep to deep. And I think the thing is, Kevin, 
This is one of those topics that are near and pressing on my heart because I think it is shifting where healthcare is going. If you remember back in the day, it wasn't about degrees. It was right. all about experience. Like experience is what made you a great nurse. When I teach, you know, your critical thinking doesn't get better until you get more experience. I'm going to give you a level of knowledge here. You should be able to critically think of these things at this very basic level. But after 10 years, you should be able to critically think about this concept a little bit differently when it comes to your patient. And I think where the state of healthcare is going to is that we're having younger people in nursing, in leadership roles without the two traits and characteristics of really what it takes to be a leader. And I think that also is impacting the way that healthcare is going, how we are engaging our nurses, how we are really using critical thinking, because the push is now, you know, nobody wants to be a bedside nurse anymore. Everybody wants to go into leadership. And the way that you do that is you go get a higher degree and that qualifies you for leadership. It's no longer your years of experience helps position you in those places, right? And now we're having younger people leading us with less experience, which cannot help the person that's at the bedside critically think through a patient. I remember it was one time as a new nurse, I started a medication. I was critical care. You know, as a ER nurse, it takes you time before you Mm -hmm. can actually get a real critical type ICU patient on your own after preceptorship. And so I remember I started a medication and the side effects of the medication was doing what it did. And I was like, what the hell do I do? Because I couldn't really Mm -hmm. think at that level because I had seen it. So I went to a senior like, hey, help. (laughs) (laughs) The hell's going on? I know this information is abnormal, but freak, I don't know what to do with it. And they kind of was like, and it's like, what? Like, right. But we don't have that reserve in us. And I think about when I go into leadership, I lead where I've been. I lead where I've treaded through and I feel like I can be a good resource. Like when we look at true characteristics of leadership, a degree doesn't give you leadership. You know, like it just don't right. say that you qualify. It teaches you the fundamentals. Yes. And I think that that is a problem because when you look at year one, people are exiting the bedside at massive amounts for multiple right. reasons, but most of them are all going back to get higher degrees so that they can- A lot of them are going to get NP degrees and I disagree with that. It makes me crazy. I talk about this and I, I heard a lot of people's feelings. I'm like, you've only been a nurse a year, maybe two years. How the hell are you going to be a good MP if you don't even have a foundation? And I said, you should be a nurse at least five years before you become an MP. Yes. I said, your first year of nursing is nothing but time management. You're just trying to keep your head above water. You're yeah. trying to keep from crying in front of the other nurses. It's not until year two that you start what I call honing your craft. By year three, you're more comfortable. By year four, you can kind of fly on your own. By year five, you should be technically an expert because that's, I don't know if you've ever heard of the rule, but it's called the 10,000 hour rule. After 10,000 hours, you're supposed to be an expert in any field. Now, I don't always agree with that, but that's the rule of thumb, 10,000 hours. If you practice it inconsistently, it should be pretty right. decent. Yeah. Right. So that's, you know, and I, one thing now, I will say this now, if you could pass this on to your students, there's one thing that I'm having a problem with right now. I don't have a problem with online education. However, there's very shortages of schools in our area for LVNs to go from LVN to RN. Mm-hmm. A lot of these kids are going to this program in Florida. They're doing the LVN to RN program in Florida. I don't like it. Yeah. The reason why is because they get very little clinicals. They get mm-hmm. like 20 or 30 or 40 hours of clinicals. And they go there, they fly for a couple of days, they come back, they go there. It's not consistent. And I've had at least six people who've done the program to come back, even after I told them not to do it, crying to me and saying, I wish I had listened to you. I'm on the floor now as an RN. Yes, I passed the NCLEX, but I feel really stupid. Mm-hmm. I don't feel like I learned anything. All we did was COVID clinics and skilled nursing. We didn't get any hospital experience. So I just caution people. Like, I know you want to make money. I know you want to be an RN. But to me, if you're in a position, leave California, go to another state for 12 months, South Dakota, Idaho, Arizona, Nevada, New Mexico, Texas, they have these programs, LV and the RN programs with no weight. Mm-hmm. You don't have to wait. And it's it'll be cheaper for you to fly there and live there for 12 months than it would be to, to go to these stupid programs that you're going to not be a good nurse. Yeah, I know people want to make money, but you got to stop being a money whore. You got to understand that you can't just get a degree and hope that you're going to be a good nurse and then take that base knowledge that you haven't really learned. And now you're going to become an NP. Yeah. And that's what I tell my students, too. It's like it's not about money. Like, I know that it made the last couple of years. It made sure it made it look like enticing. Yeah, very enticing. There's tons of money to be made. 
we can travel, we can do all these things. And people who are running after those things, you're not running after really what it is to be a nurse and you won't last. You know, these are things that nursing school won't tell you, but I'm going to tell you is like, it's not about the money at the end of the day, because there's going to some days you don't give a damn how much money you made. Right. It was just that kind of day. Like you don't care about the dollar. Right. You will burn, you will burn yourself out. And it's not about that. It's about really caring and driving impact in the world and helping people at some of their most vulnerable times. And then the byproduct is you get a little bit of money in your bank. Right. So that's right. cool, you know, but I think that we need to get back to that state of healthcare to make bedside stronger again, to help other nurses feel supported again and getting good quality, you know, nursing, because even me being a nurse, I call it paranoia. Like I am paranoia. When I go to the ER, I'm like, what are you giving me? How right. fast are you pushing it? Let me see the bottle. But what in the case, if I wasn't alert and oriented to be able to ask those questions? Well, I'll give you a good example. Personal note, my son, he was just diagnosed with ulcerative colitis. Mm. And I don't know much about this, but apparently I got a history and it's not it's my fault, according to my wife. So <laughs> my family has a history of, and I don't have any problems. So it skipped the generation, but they wanted to give him this medicine. I'm not a big fan of medicines. I try to be as natural as I can, but I did research. I asked a lot of my peers that you know from, and they're like, yeah, you better just do it because you don't want him having to have a colostomy. So they made us go to CRMC to the peds floor. And I posted this all over Facebook. And this nurse, she's a new, I don't know how, she had to be less than three or four year nurse. And they gave him, it was either Remicade or Humira, one of those big ones. And they made us stay in overnight because they wanted to make sure he didn't have a reaction to it. They put the IV in, they brought the medication. I've never given it. So what did I do? I looked it up in a drug book. Mm -hmm. It says it has to be in a glass bottle. It has to be in specialized tubing. You have to use an inline filter. Mm -hmm. When the medication came, it was in a plastic bag. Mm -hmm. It was in regular tubing and there was no inline filter. And mm -hmm. I didn't let them know I was a nurse. I just, I don't do that. So I acted like a part of my language ladies. I acted like a dumb blonde. I said, oh, so can you tell me a little bit about this medication? Because I'm nervous as a father. Yeah. And she's like, oh, it's like any other medication. You just hang it and run it. And it's okay. And so when she said, right. So when she said that, I'm like, can I talk to a charge nurse? So I asked the charge nurse who'd been a nurse 30 years. She said the same thing. Mm. But then I said, listen, I'm a nurse. I'm a good nurse. I said, the drug book says glass bottle, specialized tubing, and an inline filter. So can you call the pharmacy and ask them that? And she looked at me like I was crazy, but I said, I'm not asking you. I'm telling you, call the pharmacy mm. before you start this IV. So she came back. She came back with a specialized tubing. She came back with the inline filter, but she didn't have the glass bottle. And she said the pharmacist told her they didn't have enough glass bottles for the hospital. They were shortage and that the infusion wouldn't last long enough. That would probably hurt my child. But he did give her the specialized tubing, which the nurse threw away. The inline filter, she didn't use it because she didn't understand how to use it. Mm -hmm. So if I didn't say that, and if I wasn't a nurse, how many other patients would they have done that to? Mm -hmm. And that's why I'm very adamant about medications, nurses using a drug book. If you've never given it, just like me, I don't know how to give Humira. I looked the shit up. So don't be lazy. Look your drugs up and stop hurting your patients. Yeah. And I think it goes back to what you said. A lot of nurses are getting into this field just for the money and not because they care about people. Yeah. So... Anyway, that's just a personal story that I wish nurses would take to heart. Yeah, that is. And, you know, I think that where my mindset is as a nurse and my students tell me all the time, like, Miss D, I wish I could go out with you in a clinical setting. I was like, yeah, I, really want to go out with you. I think that I work really hard to get this RN behind my right. name. Like I've overcome first being a family first. You know, I just work really hard at this. And my thing is I never want somebody's life on my hands, like just by being negligent. Now to right. be human is to err. Right. right. Human, we make mistakes. Should I stumble? Should I tell my husband, I didn't say that. And I said it or whatever right. that looks like. Right. <laughs> That's just life. So to be human is to err. But why don't we take those extra precautions when we have other people hand lives in our hands? That's my texture as a nurse. If I'm going to the bedside, I'm going to do my very best with what I have. I'm going to stop. I'm going to pause. I'm going to wait and do what I need to do. And when I felt like I could no longer do that and, you know, or felt like this was exhausting me, I couldn't, I didn't want this type of weight is when I decided that bedside nursing wasn't for me anymore. And we have to know that too, and not just show up just for the sake of that security of a paycheck, but also know when our time has been exhausted, when we're burnt out and walk away because you never know one small 
whether it's too much medication or too little medication, can be extremely harmful to an individual or giving it the skill, the technical skill of giving it the right way. You said she threw away the tubing (laughs) because she didn't know how to use it instead of saying, how do I use this and why did you send this with this medication? Right. Kind of thing, you know, a good thing that you were there to advocate. But majority of the time, the people that we care for, especially in our where we are, is people, their health literacy is poor. So right. they don't know how to advocate for themselves. And how do we be that for them? You know, nursing is beyond the money. So what made you transition from bedside? Like what made you leave the bedside and go into entrepreneurship? Well, I didn't start this. Me and Miss Pat started this. This business, Central Valley Medical, is a business solely owned by a female entrepreneur. She's a female CEO and a woman of color, right? Hey, so, I'm with I, it. Come on, Miss Pat. Even though I'm here and I help, you know, I'm part of Central Valley Medical, but it is solely owned by her. And we started this 10 years ago. Her and I met as uh, CPR instructors in LA and we got here. And, and when I first started this 10, 12 years ago, her and I, there was no LVNs that I could remember at bedside that could do IV therapy. There was no such thing as IV certification here in the Valley. And so I researched, we started this with CPR and IV therapy. And now 10 years later, almost every job here in the Valley requires IV certification. Mm -hmm. I know it sounds crazy, but I look back and say, man, we changed the face of the Central Valley. Because I mean, it's crazy. Like I don't try to toot my own horn, but I'm like, every job now requires LVNs and requires the LVNs have IV certs. I'm like, we did that. And very passionate about it because I want to make a difference in healthcare. I like nursing. I love people. I love the way I take care of people. I'm in it for, don't get me wrong, I love money too, but I love taking care of people. Yes. I didn't want to leave bedside, but the reason why I left bedside was my last stint was at and I worked there for quite a while, and I'm sure you know about it, but when I was there, we had a manager every, the five or six years I was there, maybe longer, I don't remember how long I stayed there, every year we had a new manager. Mm-hmm. And they would talk, you know, and they would bring people in like this is a tactic. Now, I know people won't agree with this, but they can say, but I'm not stupid. They bring in what's called a headhunter. I don't know if you were there at the time. But I think you were. It was a little lady. She came from Texas. She was a headhunter. Nobody even saw her for the first six months. Where the red zone was, she put the yellow zone where the yellow zone was. I mean, she tore everything up. And she basically did it to force all the older nurses who were at the top of their pay to quit. Because when you do that, it drops down the budget. So now they're saving money. Mm. And the first time she had a staff meeting, she came in and says, you know, working in the ER is like working in the war zone. And I raised my hand. I said, have you ever been in the war zone? No. I said, well, then you should, part of my language, everybody, you want to believe that you should shut the fuck up then because I spent three tours in Iraq and working in the ER is not like working in the war zone. And everybody got all quiet and shit. I said, but I was, you know, and I never get offended, but I was angry because that shows me how little she cared about nursing. Yeah. And then she left. They brought in a new headhunter and they changed everything back the way it was. And all the older people left. And that to me, they just weed people out so they can get the budget down. Yeah. It's a very big tactic that happens all the time. And I think it's counterintuitive. Mm -hmm. They only care. The people that are in running the hospital, they only care about money. They don't care about you. And that's what nurses have to understand. And that's because that's the biggest reason why I left. I just got tired of that game. By the time I left, you would work days. I would work nights. Hey, Starsheet, remember that task that we were doing this morning in the blue zone? Yeah, don't forget about it. We, it's not like that anymore. Mm-hmm. You'd, I'd come back at night. Hey, Kevin, remember what I, you took? Yeah, we're not doing that anymore. It would change from day to day, yeah. shift to shift. And I just said, I had enough of this because right. it's just idiots. Idiots. <laughs> Lack of consistency, right? It really, we are creatures of habit. So the way we do things, you got to give it to us for a certain period of time. And then it overall impacts health. Not just that, but it causes medical errors. It causes yeah. errors. And when I first started, I had my 30 minute lunches, my 15 minute breaks. By the time I left and wait times in the ER were only like 15, 20, 30 minutes. By the time I left, wait times were up to eight, 10 hours per patient. You never got a lunch. You never got breaks. I just wanted to make a difference. I wanted to be on my own and I think that's a current state of healthcare. I think across organizations is just we're short staff, right? And so they you compromise. I joke and I tell my students sometimes, like, hey, I'm a nurse. So y'all gotta remind me to give y'all y'all breaks and remind right. me of this because y'all know I'm a nurse. I, I'm conditioned to let's just work through and you, you get a nursing bladder. Well, right. one, we're not gonna take it lightly of the change that you all created here in the community. 
Like, I think that what I think is amazing that I heard of what you and Ms. Pat have put together, it sounds like you both have packed, you packaged up what was your experience, your expertise, your education, your knowledge, and you decided to create something that we needed to be able to change and impact the way that we nurse, right? Or the way that nursing is done. And how can we have a more positive change and positive impact on nursing? I just have to say congratulations to you all for that. Kudos to you for that, because that's what it is really, really all about. And that's one of my big things is saying, I know we look like we're secure when we're working for organizations, but some of us do get burnt out and some of us find a new and innovative way to impact healthcare. And why can we not do that? You know, security, right? Being afraid to step out of those things and do those things that we should do. But why not? Like, let's package up your education, your experience and your expertise. We're afraid of failure. Yeah, afraid of failure. But the thing is, it's like we've all failed. Why is it okay that we made a bad decision and we failed maybe at one thing in healthcare, but we came back and we kept at it. And now we're 20 years in the game. But why is it that when we try something new as far as ourselves and being out independently on our own, why do we not look at those failures the exact same way and still pick ourselves up and keep back going? Because we understand the only way to be successful is to fail. You have to make mistakes. The sooner you fail, the quicker you learn, the right. further you go and the right. faster you go with that. So yeah, absolutely. So kudos to you all for that and making a huge change and the impact that you guys are going to continue to drive within the organization. And in our green room or whatever you want to call it, before we started the recording, you talked about what entrepreneurship is really like. Like, is it really just about making hella money, making millions of dollars? Or what is it really like all encompassing some of the great benefits of so people always ask us people always ask us for discounts and stuff and you know they're we're a small business even though we're a corporation that's we did that for you know the structure of taxes and money and stuff but we don't make a lot of money. I, me and miss pat make less money now than than when i worked as a full-time nurse and she worked as a full-time teacher we did it because we want the freedom to not have to worry about working for somebody else and so that's why we don't give discounts. I mean, it's not that we don't want to give discounts, but we barely make it as it is. So when people say, oh, can you know, you guys are making tons of money. You don't see we pay thirty thousand dollars in rent. We pay payroll taxes, insurance. We have six or seven employees. So you have to understand that just because you work in a small business doesn't mean you're a billionaire. You know, that's very few people are billionaires in small business. Most small businesses make $400,000 or a year or less. And that's gross. And that doesn't include payroll taxes and all the other things that people don't see. So when you want to support a small business, don't think that they're rich because they're not rich. Are some small businesses rich? Yes. But you know, it takes a lot of hard work. Like one of the ladies that works across from me, she's not here today yet, but she will be soon. She tells me every day, God, man, man, you and Miss Pat are always here. You always answer the phones. You always, you know, answering the text. Like I answer customers in two or three o'clock in the morning when they text our business or when they email and people are surprised by that. And that's why they think we're this huge corporation because I give customer service like I think people deserve and I treat them the best. And that's why we stand out because I'm always here. I always answer the phone, I always answer text, but don't think that just because a company is a small business, we're just a family, you know, that's why I'm passionate about women because I got four daughters and I'm paying for my sins. You know, I got all these girls that I'm having to pay for and it's coming back to me. So, <laughs> but I am passionate about women because I don't want my daughters to grow up without. I don't want them to be, I want them to know that they're powerful women. Women outnumber men in the world almost four to one. So why are women running the world? You have to ask yourselves that. that I don't know where that, but. Wow. We so why are women running? Four to one. Pretty, pretty close. not running the world? Yeah, that that's on you. powerful question. Mm-hmm. Powerful oh. question. Well, you know, a woman like me is out here to disrupt that space <laughs> to give your, your girls permission as I'm giving my daughters right. permission to go out and run it. You know, I, I see a big shift happening that women are now taking, not taking the rightful place, but are really stepping up. But there is still some unlearning that we have to do as a group of women to get us to where we need to be. And right. we are powerful beings. And once we begin to step up and really walk in our power and do the things that we feel are naturally and organic to us and stop settling for what we feel like is a false sense of stability and really position ourselves as such, I think it would really change the game. I do too. So we getting there, Kevin. We coming up, but we, we, we still need our man to, to keep us and keep us grounded. Sometimes I often think my husband, like I'm the emotional aspect of everything. Some fall off. I'm like, wow, 
And he's like, get it back together. <laughs> Bring your most, you ain't no money in your emotions, you know? But one thing I did love, Kevin, just for those who may be entertaining the idea of entrepreneurship, I think the thing that I've learned in this journey of entrepreneurship is you have the ability to make money. We get to cap our own salaries, right? We get to choose how much we make when we go and exchange a dollar for an hour working at the bedside or working for other people. We pretty much say we're going in for this and this is what we make. One thing I love about entrepreneurship is the freedom it gives you, the ability to say, hell, I want to go all in and I want to make more money or I want to make a hell of a lot of money because I got this initiative going on in this campaign. We have that freedom to be able to do so. And then also with that freedom, the time freedom that you get, you may not necessarily see at the very end of it, but I think entrepreneurship also sets you up for legacy that organizations can't. The way that we used to build wealth back in the day is not like it is. Back right. in the day, you can go to work for an organization, make money, save it, and you're going to get it. You're not going to get wealthy that way. Now, now right. it's how do I earn and earn as much as I can? And how do I put this money in different avenues, right? Now that you have the extra, it may not be tons of tons of extra, right. but how do I do it and save it for later? Kind of like similar conversations that we were talking about before we hit the recording button, right? Like those are things that entrepreneurship give you to where you have, you can be comfortable, but you have a whole nother layer of security that you couldn't get because really these jobs are now, you're just paying to keep yourself surviving. Right. And I see nurses working two, three jobs and I'm like, stop that shit. Right. And then start thinking about how much are you really worth packaging up what you know, which was what somebody did for where you're working for and to grow that side hustle. Even if you're still working alongside your corporate job, but maybe you can pull one back. Maybe you can pull two of them back and replace it with that to start building that for yourself. Because if not, we're going to be a whole bunch of burnt out, struggling nurses. They're going to be like, oh, you was a nurse and this is how you live in retirement. Right, right. We have to get nurses to change their lifestyle too. I know a lot of nurses, I, I won't tell you her name, but you know who she is. She probably makes $120,000, $130,000 a year. She's single. She lives by herself. She always says she's poor. And I'm like, if you're poor and making that much money, that tells me you have bad budgeting skills. And a lot of nurses like you, you teach LVNs too. I tell them, don't try to go and make a ton of money as an RN because you're trying to get this lifestyle up here. What are you going to do when you're 50, 60 years old? You're not going to be able to work that hard to maintain that lifestyle. Right. Change your lifestyle. Change the way you live. Don't be so luxurious. Yeah. Try to live simple, less stress. Because I wear the same clothes every day. Hell, hell yeah. Like, why, why not? Like, keep it simple. T yeah, I do. Let's go. But here's the thing. Here's another thing. We are taught to go like, especially middle-class people, our mindsets is to go and get a career, make hella money so we can get hella credit cards, backs out our credit and not live comfortable. That's the mindset of middle-aged individuals. But if we look at where it's going, it's going between you either have it or you don't. It's either rich or you're poor. Right. And <laughs> we have to start shifting our mindsets about the way that we right. make our money and start investing it differently. Because if not, then we are not ever going to make it. And of course, making these salaries and living to the max of these salaries, right. 120K a year is, is a decent salary to live a comfortable life to right. do what you want. But even 120 don't satisfy people. That's why they have two and three jobs. I remember right. one person said they had almost four jobs. And I said, how the hell do you work four? Right. Right. Like, it's crazy, how, though. How do you work four why? jobs? Like, what are you yeah, doing? But why? What are you doing with your life that you're working yeah. four jobs? That's crazy. To me, that's part of the reason why nurses are getting burned out. They're trying to work too much. They're trying to, you know what I mean? This is crazy. You got to change your lifestyle. I have, awesome. like, everybody's crazy about eggs right now. I got 30 chickens, so I got all the eggs I want. I don't worry about egg prices. Hey, listen, I, I want to build a chicken coop. <laughs> right. I grow my own garden. We have our own vegetables. Yep. We bought a house that's built in 92. I mean, we our mortgage is very, very low. We're very frugal people. In the Filipino culture, which my wife is, they call them kuri iput, which means cheap. Yeah. Oh. <laughs> but you think about that's the mindset of millionaires, though. Most right. millionaires are hella frugal. Right. I mean, the average credit card they have is like JCPenney's. They're not trying right. to go out and get, right. you know, all these credit cards. It's the mindset, but we have somewhere conditioned ourselves to think that that's it in the lifestyle. And Did we condition ourselves or were we conditioned? I believe we was conditioned and I we just fell into the trap. Right. A lot of people, like we talked about, a lot of people going to nursing, you have the ability to make a hell of a lot of money and you make it really quick and you care for these people. You just got to get right. to nursing school, right? Right. What was the big drive? Right. Is it really to care for the people? Is it about the money, money that you can right. make on the other side of it? Right. So that's that what I think too. I agree with that. So we got to start looking at things differently. We got to start setting ourselves up differently. And this is a conversation 
that may not be for the everyday nurse. Some of you are going to love to live at bedside and stay at bedside. That's cool. There's some of you that's burnt out, stressed out, and you're like, there has to be another way. And I want to package up my education, my experience, my expertise, just kind of like Starshina did and Kevin and Ms. Pat did, right? To drive a greater impact in the world. This is a conversation for you, talking about real things that are happening, looking at what are we considering, which are false sense of security for us, which is really not security because organizations are closing. People are still having to shuffle and shift, although we feel like it's such a secure profession, which it is. You can probably go get a job, but there's things that's beyond our control that still impacts as we see organizations closing, people shuffling and shifting, patient care is compromised. At what cost is it for you? We just have to decide that as ourselves. Did you see our hospital closed? Our hospital closed here. Mm -hmm. And then three major insurance companies stopped giving care at the CRMC. Oh, wow. So what's well, like, what's, what's going on? You know, healthcare is definitely, definitely shifting. So I think it's time for us to think about it. So Kevin, what do you want to leave the people with? What is there? Tell well, them where they can find you, where they can. So you can find you. me. I'm on Facebook. I'm on Instagram. Our website is www.morethancpr.com. I know that we are out here in Madera and I know people complain that they got to drive from all the way from Clovis to here, but it's You'll drive to L.A. and San Francisco for food, but you won't drive for a quality class. But I'm here. I'm always here. Like, you can text me. You can email me. You can Facebook me. I like being a mentor. So I'm always here for you. I'm always here for your group. Men, women, it doesn't matter. I'm here for you. I appreciate you having me, too. Yes. And I thank you so much for waking up early. Y'all getting this recording. So y'all not getting it at 630 in the morning on a Saturday. (laughs) Kevin got up this morning. He was like, who the hell records at six o'clock on a Saturday? (laughs) Me. (laughs) But I thank you so much for your time. Tell Miss Pat, thank you for allowing me to borrow you this morning. Thank you for allowing me to borrow your experience, your expertise. I really, really appreciate you and take care. Thank you for listening to Nurse to Nurse. We hope you enjoyed today's episode. If you're feeling inspired and ready to build your personal brand and create a premium coaching practice in 90 days, visit www.iamstarshima.com slash buildmybrand to start your journey today. For more information and updates, follow Starshima on Instagram at nursecoachstarshimaRN and on Facebook at Starshima RN. Until next Friday, take care.